Welcome to the Gen X Women's Guide to Love podcast. I'm your host, Shonda Howard, and I'm going to teach you exactly how to stop attracting all of the wrong men so you can meet and marry the man of your dreams. Let's get started. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Gen X Woman's Guide to Love podcast. I have no idea what episode number we're on, and it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is that this week, I have a very special guest for you. I cannot wait to introduce you to this person. Her name is Jenny Juchter, and she is a sober, curious coach. Now, we're not trying to sell you on being completely sober. Although, side note, I basically am sober at this point in my life, and I know you are too, Jenny. But what we are going to do is have a really important conversation about how drinking and alcohol is actually holding you back from the relationship you desire. And that applies to you whether or not you are single and looking for love and dating, or if you're in a partnership already. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to my friend, Jenny. And just a quick aside, I'm going rogue, Jenny. Jenny and I met in a mastermind last summer. And what's actually really interesting is that we created a very small group container. There's about six of us in this group container after the mastermind ended. And we have really created a community of these women. And we talk every single day. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because this community has been so meaningful. And it wasn't a community that was created until about a year ago for all of us. We, Jenny and I are both in our forties and this comes up for my clients a lot when they start doing this work. I don't know if your clients experience this too, but when they start doing this work, they have to start evaluating their friendships. And a lot of times their friendships are not aligned with who they are becoming and where mm-hmm. they're going. Mm-hmm. And they notice that they've been holding on to friendships just because they've had that person in their life for a long time. And because they have a lot of fear, like, where would I find new friends at 40 years old? Well, we are here to tell you it is more than possible because we have created a very meaningful and intimate container. So that was my aside. But I'm going to pass it over to you, Jenny. I would love for you to introduce yourself. If you have any comments on that, you can you can go ahead and say anything. And then you can tell us a little bit about your story and what it is you do. Yeah. So my name is Jenny Jector, and I am a sober curious coach. and I. My story starts, I guess, like being 14 years old and getting drunk on Zima and like, you know, as you do as a Gen X woman, by the way, (laughs) you know, like if you didn't get drunk with a Zima and a Jolly Rancher, I don't even know how, like who you are. Boone's Farm, something (laughs) like like Strawberry Field. Yes. That's what we did. So I had like the really like think general experience with alcohol as a teenager, like, you know, getting drunk sometimes on the weekends, definitely in college, you know, plenty of binge drinking. When I look at my own journey, I can say to myself, like, oh yeah, I would definitely describe where I am now as being sober, but not necessarily like where I've been in the last few years as I've like progressively drank less and less. Um, a little caveat, I spent 14 years working in the alcohol industry. And I went into my master's program. So I have a master's in professional counseling. And so my interest has definitely always been in help, self-help, like personal development and therapy, but probably just at the time wasn't ready to even look at my own stuff, like my own trauma, my own grief, my own pain. And alcohol for sure was a definitely like a great way 
to not look at things. Mm-hmm. So over the course of um, my time in the alcohol industry, I definitely developed a habit and I would just call it like a drinking habit. It didn't feel like I was doing anything different than anyone else. And it didn't feel like I was over drinking. I would have never looked at my drinking pattern and been like, I was never like, oh my gosh, I think you might be an alcoholic. I think that there's a problem because I was a fish in water, because I was surrounded by so many people who were drinking as much, if not more than me. Mm. And it wasn't until I went into my coach certification with LCS, like Shonda has too, that oh wait, you're not, you're not LCS. I'm not. No. Yeah. Um, so I was in LCS certification and I remember like receiving feedback from one of my coaching things and like feeling this sensation, this really inc- like super discomfort. And I was like, Oh, I need a glass of wine. Mm. And it was, a, it was a Monday, you know? So obviously like I was feeling like rejection and resisting the rejection and I was having this wine. And I think like within the next few weeks, one of the trainings was on urges and was on over drinking. And I was like, holy shit, like this just hit me like that. I'm not allowing myself to feel uncomfortable that I am using alcohol as a way to avoid certain, I don't want to do this. Mm. So I was in the alcohol industry at the time. And I, I think I'd kind of like been thinking that I wanted to not drink as much, but I think it was more based on like not being able to be fit, you know, like I wanted to be fit and thin and all these things. And like alcohol was definitely prohibiting me from doing that. So, um, I did the work on my drinking. I took alcohol out for 105 days at the time. And I really allowed myself to feel all the discomfort. And the only reason I even introduced it back into my life was because I could hear this voice in my head saying, if you ever have a sip again, you've ruined it. Mm, It was like this perfectionistic black and white thinking. And so I was like, I'm just going to like have a glass of wine here and there. And like, that's really what I've been doing for like the last past couple of years. Some weeks I would have had more, but I wasn't really ever getting drunk again. Yeah. Like I think kind of buzzed a couple of times in the past few years, but like that was really where I like I drew, I drew the limit because like, I started to feel that I didn't like how I felt. Mm-hmm. And I actually spent a full year in awareness that I would have a glass of wine and then not like how I felt. So I would drink a glass of wine. Cause I, I mean, I worked in the wine industry for so long. I have a lot of appreciation for, for wine and for the products and for the culture, like, and from, especially like, you know, when you talk about like, history of certain vineyards and families like it's really it's cool and it's there is like this romantic sort of vibe about certain types of alcohol right yeah um, so i was definitely in my romance novel with alcohol <laughs> still like yeah. not quite ready to put it on the shelf sure but i would notice like i would just get super tired after i had one glass so like the the moment of it feeling good would only last about 15 minutes and then I would feel tired and then I would just feel hungry. And then I would just want to go to bed. So I stayed in that place for a full year before I decided, you know what? Sober, like you're just going to take alcohol out and whether or not I want to call it alcohol free or sober, it doesn't really matter. It's just, now I just know like that is my decision. Yeah. That's so interesting. So free. Yeah. 
Wow. And so actually I have a question about that. So what have you noticed since taking it out? So I can see the tiny moments, the micro moments Mm -hmm. where my brain still wanted it. Mm -hmm. Like I can see the tiny moments where my brain is bored on Sunday at four o'clock and it's thinking I should be entertained. I can see the micro moments where my brain is thinking you should feel happier than you feel. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, I think what I'm noticing is a lot of like deep levels of acceptance. Yeah. And so like, I've really come to accept a lot of things in myself. And and I think as I've accepted more of like this external reality around me, that I have a lot of deep acceptance for my internal reality Mm -hmm. that has like made me feel like in the past few months, like I'm really letting myself be more who I know myself to be at this point. Yeah. So good. So powerful. You know, it's funny because I, and this is just another small tangent, but I haven't really been a drinker for the last probably five years, maybe longer. And my husband also doesn't drink. And so it was interesting because I really kind of cut back my drinking before when I was doing this work to attract a partner. But I really was weighed heavily towards the benefits of not drinking. I wanted to get up in the morning and feel good and not be hungover and not be tired and not feel like I was like sort of taking myself into this altered state that didn't feel good, right? But since having my kids, that has been the one thing because, and this is not a podcast about parenting. We are going to talk about love in a second. But what I will say is that I think that you could substitute the circumstance of having kids for a lot of circumstances in life that feel hard. And because parenting has been so difficult and so challenging and has been such a shift in paradigm from my life previous to having kids, it I noticed that part of me popping up that says, oh, it would be so much easier if you were one of those moms who was like, it's wine o'clock. Let's just have a glass of wine because you'd just be able to like let the stress of the day melt away when you're in that heightened state, when you're activated, when you're going at it with your kids, trying to control all of your stuff comes up to the surface from parenting. And I know that a lot of other circumstances can do that, but that's been the one area of my life that has, it's been interesting to watch because I, I don't, I'm not a person that desires alcohol, but that's an area where I experience a lot of discomfort and that comes into my brain. Oh, it'd be so nice to just have a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I think, I think that's a common thought too. Like, oh, it would be so nice if like, it's just like, I call them like invitation thoughts, mm. you know? but like, you don't have the urge that goes with it. You know, like you don't have like, you know, it's like a balloon that's like, you've cut off, you know, so yeah. it just by versus like people who have that habit of drinking, they're holding on to that balloon, and it's like it would be, it would be nice, and they're like, yeah, uh, sure would be, yeah, yeah, and then they take the action. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. Great. Well, I mean, it's just so interesting and so powerful this conversation, and I feel like you and I could talk about this forever, but I do want to talk a little bit more about how this applies to romantic partnership, both in dating and looking for love, and. Yeah just in creating a really healthy, strong, connected, intimate partnership. Yeah. So what are the ways that you think that this drinking habit that so many people have, it's so normal, holds people back from having their best relationships? Yeah. So I, I think about like my early dating years and how insecure I was and not confident. Mm-hmm. And 
So alcohol was definitely like that, that bridge between me and this person and me being, feeling more free and feeling less in my head. And most of my relationships early on definitely involved tons and tons of drinking. Mm -hmm. And while I don't say like any relationship shouldn't have happened, I can definitely see like where I wouldn't have engaged a toxic relationship for so long Mm -hmm. um, had I not been drinking. And that actually includes my current husband. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) Like, I'm so glad I stayed. But we were not a good fit. Like we were drinking, like we were drunk for like the first six months of our relationship at least. And it was so tumultuous. I know like you and I were kind of talking before and and one of the things that alcohol does, and, and I think too, like there's so much research coming out now about alcohol that wasn't out when yeah. you and I were dating yeah. in our younger years, right? And so now it's like, you can't deny the truth of the science of what science is actually telling us about alcohol. So one of the things I can think about is that alcohol within like people who drink regularly, (laughs) excuse me, women, it increases their estrogen levels. And with the increase of estrogen levels, it makes them estrogen dominant. And with estrogen dominant comes a lot of things that you kind of don't want in your personality, which is like depression and anxiety, Mm. which is insomnia. It can make you infertile, you know, it increases infertility. So there's all kinds of things that estrogen dominance can mess with your head. And so if you're, if you're going prone to like depression and anxiety, who are you attracting? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If like attracts like, what type of partner are you attracting? If you're in the habit of drinking and you are now like depression prone and high anxiety. So, so that's one thing, you know, it's, it, it alters your personality even when you're not drinking, Mm. it affects your hormones. And then that's just going to affect your mood. And so one, I can see this actually like affecting who you're going to attract. And then when you're attracting someone, because we tend to mirror our partners unconsciously, we have mirror neurons in our brains. And so we want to reflect back to them and they want to reflect back to us. So if you're someone who is feeling in this helpless place, Mm -hmm. but attract someone who has like that opposite personality um, characteristic, which is like that, maybe like that more domineering controlling type of person. And that might not be who you actually want, like long-term. So it's going to affect like who you're attracting to you. Yeah. I think, you know, it's interesting too, because and we've talked about this on the podcast before, but when I work with my women to find love, one of the things that we have to do is we start working on creating a life that they love before their person shows up. Because I always say, like Mr. Right, the guy that's in the top 1%, the guy that you really want to be with, doesn't want to be with somebody who's sitting at home crying into her glass of wine, feeling sad for herself. That is not, those two are not a match at all. Mr. Right wants to be with somebody who is completely fulfilled and satisfied and loves her life and feels happy and is full of life and joy. 
And that's certainly not to say that you don't have down moments, but if you're using alcohol regularly, if you have a drinking habit, what I'm hearing from you is that Mm -hmm. that can really affect your personality because it is messing with your hormones. And then you might be prone to spending more time in a depressed state, in a lower feeling vibrational state, which means you're going to attract somebody who's not the person you want to be with. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and two, I mean, with, with the, the hormones being affected more, I mean, it's not permanent forever. Like if you take alcohol out, you can get your hormones back in balance, but as long as you are a drinker, this is more likely to be happening in premenopausal women. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, you know, with, with that cycle is you're constantly in that high, low roller coaster of dopamine. Yeah. So who are you being when you're not drinking? Do you like that person? And is is the dopamine level getting so low? And then are you having to like fake be happy around this potential person? Mm -hmm. Because you don't want to show them like, oh, I'm actually freaking miserable. So it feels like this, like you're out of integrity with yourself. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even be your full self. Like you can't, you don't even feel safe to be like, oh my God, I'm so depressed today especially if you're like trying to attract someone, like no one's, no one's coming up for that. <laughs> you know, like That's sign right. me up. <laughs> Some right. people might. Right. Those rest of like but... bipolar, like hot and cold, yeah. happy, sad, right? Yeah. No one, yeah, no one wants to be, to be with that. So this is such, such good information here. And there's so much science that backs it up, which is what I find to be really interesting. And one other um, idea that I wanted to talk about. So you and I were chatting a little bit before this, and we you brought up this idea of how alcohol can create this kind of manufactured intimacy and yes. sort of speed up the intimate connection, right? Get, like hopping into bed with somebody. And I think this is really relevant, especially to my women who are looking for love, because I always tell people, listen, we take things on a case by case basis. So there's not a one size fits all rule. I'm not going to tell you like, these are the rules and you have to stick to them. You're not allowed to sleep with anybody until it's been four dates. Like that's not the rule, but what you do need to be able to do is to discern whether or not this feels right. And that you feel safe with this person and that can take time. And so a lot of the work that I do with my women is really helping them and coaching them to slow down that process to get the information versus going after the quick dopamine hit, which is, you know, jumping all in both intimately, sexually, emotionally, all of that. So I would love if you could talk a little bit more about that connection between manufactured intimacy and drinking. Yeah. So when we drink, we have a lot of dopamine that is released in our brain and dopamine is like that, that feeling of like love. It gives us that feeling of love. And it also can increase testosterone in women. So Mm -hmm. testosterone, so there's there's two sides of this, right? So testosterone in women is going to increase their feelings of sexual desire. So the mind is kind of subjectively looking at the experience and thinking like, I'm so ready for sex. But physiologically, your body actually like shuts down. Mm. So you have decreased blood flow to all of your genital organs. Like like you have like your body doesn't actually prepare itself for sex and you can't climax as easily. So if you're drinking, chances are you're probably going to be doing a lot of faking. (laughs) because It's not going to feel as good. And 
it can prohibit the release of like oxytocin. So oxytocin is like that, that chemical that we use for bonding and attachment. So I want to say this, like when people don't want to get attached to sex, Mm. then drinking would be a great idea, I guess. Oh, interesting. But the biology, especially for women, is that the oxytocin is released and then you are attaching because you're actually looking for someone to like partner with. Yeah. You're actually looking for that attachment. So if you don't want any attachment or orgasms, keep drinking and having sex. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is not a win probably. But the thing is, is that that alcohol really invites you to believe that you're more ready than you are. And it invites you to bypass like the emotional markers that you might Mm -hmm. want to go through in order to like, know, like I'm in a safe zone with this, you know? Yeah. Because safety is, you know, I think when you're creating, and this is what I've seen, you know, I saw this in my own life and I saw it again and again with my, I see it with my clients all the time. But safety is the number one priority that your nervous system, your body, your subconscious mind is constantly seeking. And sometimes we have safety wrong. And that would be an entirely different podcast episode that I know you and I would geek out on, right? Because our nervous system sometimes thinks that it's safe to be in a, a relationship that's not good, not healthy. But we're always trying to create safety in the body so that you, so that my clients can be, so that when, if you're listening to this and you're looking for love, so that you can feel your most open, your most grounded, and you're most able to connect on a very deep level, because that's when you're going to get those intuitive hits. That's when you're going to be able to follow the guidance and to, to see things unfold clearly. You're not going to be ignoring red flags and diving into something that just isn't right. And you are going to be able to get your, to be connected to your intuition. Yeah. Right. So I would actually love if you could talk about that a little bit, because I know that you're also a very intuitive person. And I know that that's a big part of your journey to quit drinking was to get connected to that higher part of you. Yeah. And I think, I think too, like with, with drinking, it's, it's kind of like giving you the false yes Mm -hmm. with everything. Right. And we are always being given clues as to like who someone is if we just pay attention and we allow ourselves like to trust that we know, like to trust like that, that like when we feel no in our body, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think with alcohol is it makes it so that we shut off our intuitions, like notice system. Mm. Because when our brain is just saying yes. And like the way I think of intuition for me is there's not like a ton, it's not like an emotional experience. It's just a knowing. It's like, I just feel a neutral yes or no. Mm. And because alcohol hijacks your whole system, when you're hijacked by something so powerful, like you can't hear what is neutral within you, you know, like you can't hear that the subtlety or you might still hear it or feel it, but you don't trust it. You can like rationalize it. You can say, oh, well, I was drinking. So, you know, maybe this or that. So it it adds to the opportunity for confusion. And when you're in confusion, you're definitely not in trust that you're like being guided and that you can trust yourself. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And that is something that's really big that comes up for my clients that we have a lot of work to do, which is learning how to trust themselves. Because a lot of times they have that knowing deep down inside that this person that they're dating while we're working together isn't the one, but there's a lot of fear covering it up. And it's about getting really clear so that you can hear that voice, so you can listen to it and you can build the trust. And it's a muscle. And, you know, as you were talking, it just occurred to me, you know, drinking takes you so far out of that, that you're literally not learning how to trust yourself. You're just covering it all up. You're not going to learn how to build the trust muscle and to hear your intuition and to be able to be guided and to be able to really see what's in front of you for what it is if you're using alcohol. Yeah. And I just even heard from myself, like, like a question for your clients or your listeners to ask themselves, like when, when they're thinking about drinking, I'm trying to be what Mm. is alcohol is always giving us permission. Right. And that's one of the things, like anything that I have thought, like that I've like suppressed in myself, like, like a part of my ego or whatever, it's like, who comes out when I drink? And so for me, and especially like with my husband, I would always let my anger out when I drank. Like yeah. I would suppress my anger, I would have all this resentment. And then we would be out at a bar and I would pick a fight about something small, but really there was something big because I didn't know how to ask for what I needed or what I wanted in real time. And even risk rejection of him saying, no, I don't have that to give you, like, or I don't want to give that to you. And so that part of me, like that angry part of me needed a safe place to be expressed and needed approval of myself. So one way to like, really like create this sense of wholeness. Cause I think like, that's what our intuition just like wants is like total accept like for us to accept all parts of ourselves is to ask yourself, like, who do I become when I drink? Mm-hmm. Like I'm trying to be what I'm yeah. trying to be more fun. And then that's going to tell you, you know, what you're scared of about taking alcohol out. You're scared to lose this thing that you think alcohol is giving you, but really is a part of you already, but you just haven't figured out a way to approve of this part without judgment and in a way that like adds to your life. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. We'll definitely put that in the show notes for everybody. And so let me ask you this, right? Because we talked a lot about kind of the negative things about alcohol and and how it can really keep you from yourself, from your intuition, from attracting the right kind of partner into your life, from even you just talked about with your husband. So again, this work applies to you, even if you're in partnership, because when you're showing up and you're using alcohol regularly, you're going to be prone to behaviors that are not going to serve connection and intimacy. So what's next? For these ladies, you know, I, and, and that's a beautiful question that you just gave them to ask, you know, who do I become when I'm drinking and, and what is it that I'm looking for? But do, does everyone need to become sober, quote unquote, like you and I are, or uh, how can they navigate the dating world and relationships with alcohol? Yeah, I would say, yes, there's a certain subpopulation that absolutely need to be sober, right? Like they're alcoholics. They literally cannot have alcohol and not like not know if they're going to have one or 20. And then there's like these normal drinkers. So again, it's it's kind of like allowing yourself to look at what is the new science, what is the new research that's actually saying that the only safe amount for your health is, you know, a couple drinks every few weeks. 
Like that's it. That's like, that's the new science and like that it's adding to cancer. So it's kind of one of those things is like, you want to say like, am I willing to go through this emotional discomfort now in order to avoid all the physical consequences that will be happening later in life? Because alcohol is fat soluble and water soluble. So it literally goes into every cell and every organ of our body. Yeah. And changes the cellular structure. Yeah. So it is something that's like, we want to be aware of the, of the information, but then also like start asking yourself, like what groups of friends do I find myself drinking with? Is that, is the only activity drinking? Yeah. Would I still be friends with them if I wasn't drinking? Yeah. And then a lot of the work I think it is, is like what, you know, they're doing with you or with me, like any coach or like, or any therapist is like learning to be comfortable in your own skin and have so many deeper layers of acceptance of yourself. Yeah. Your your question was, does everyone need to be sober? I don't think everyone needs to be sober, but I think everyone needs to be curious about why they're drinking. Yeah. That's yeah. That's so smart. Yep. That's it. You need to be curious about why you're drinking. And I know I'm going to get this question. So I just have to ask you because you're here, you're the expert for my women, for my ladies that do want to still have a glass of wine or two on a date because dating can bring all of the anxiety and the discomfort and the insecurity and the self-awareness to the surface when you're meeting somebody new. And I know that it's something that people use to relax, to feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident. And while we don't want to rely on a tool, what would be your recommendation for women that are, you know, not wanting to give it up completely, but want to be more mindful of it and still want to use it on occasion as they're navigating dating? Yeah. So I would make sure that you are incorporating activities that don't historically involve drinking. I mean, honestly, it's very, it's rare to even think about what those are because somehow the alcohol industry has like put its hands in everything. (laughs) So like every activity now involves alcohol. Mm -hmm. Uh So interesting. So true. Um, But make sure you're like thinking of things that you can do, like going for breakfast. And yes, yeah. I know you can have mimosas, but it's just yeah. less likely like going for breakfast dates, lunch dates, coffee dates. One of my friends, she has guys go on walks with her and this really populated area in Atlanta. And it's a great idea. She's like, I get my steps in. And then if I don't <laughs> like him, I'm like, okay, bye. And I just walk away. <laughs> I love like, that. I love that. I, I actually, I think when I was in New York, I remember now very clearly I did a date once in Central Park and we just walked around and chatted yeah. and got to know each other. And you don't have to be face to face, which can be super awkward. Um, so making sure you're incorporating that. If you do want to keep so incorporating the activities that don't involve drinking and thinking outside the box about what you can do. Yeah. Eating different times a day, like avoid nighttime, especially if you're wanting to work on your relationship with alcohol, like avoiding nighttime activities. Yeah, you know, it's for a little while, you know, it's not like you have to do it forever, but until you get your confidence up. And then the other thing is to make a drink plan. So when I'm working with my clients one on one, I always have them make a drink plan. So we taper before going into a period of being alcohol free. So a drink plan could be one glass of wine, two glasses of wine. You know what it is. And then you can even use your drink plan to see if you're dating someone who is persuasive. 
Oh. And you can see like, is this a characteristic if your date is like, oh, come on, have another one. Like, oh, are they respectful of my boundaries immediately? Yeah. And I say, no, I don't want another one. I feel good. Are they respectful of my boundary right away? Or do they try to pressure me to have more? Yeah. That's yeah. great information for you to know. It is. And while you were talking, it actually occurred to me too, that if you go in with a drink plan and you also find yourself wanting to drink more because you can't settle down, you can't calm down the connections, not there, whatever it is, that is a sign for you to look at why you yeah. don't feel at ease with this person. Why oh, are you not comfortable? Yeah. Why um, is that your stuff? Or is it, you know, is it your lack of confidence that we have to work on? Or is it is something off there? Yeah. And and I want to say this too, like, because I did this work, my husband and I have been together for 13 years and our relationship is better than it has ever been in our history. And my biggest fear was like, am I going to want to be with him Yeah, after I like don't drink? Like, it's like, that was like an activity we did together. And so the fear was really about like, am I going to want to be with me? Am I going to like who I am, you know, when I'm not drinking? And what shows up, you know, because my biggest fear is like, am I going to be boring? Mm. And I'm like, of course I'm not. <laughs> I'm like not boring at all. But like that was the fear because I associated alcohol with fun. I had stopped associating me with fun. So this has this isn't even just like a dating uh, problem for people who are dating. This is for people who are in a relationship already because you have established a pattern of habit together, you yeah, know. And yeah. so when one person's like, I'm going to change this pattern a lot of fear comes up, you know? Mm -hmm. So this is something for all women to be thinking about, like, what, what are you scared of? Yeah. What are you scared is going to happen? And I just want to offer that it's probably going to be the opposite, you know? So good. Yeah. That's, that's so good. And it's so true. Well, I love, I have one more thing. Oh yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) The other part about, like you said, like feeling awkward and it's really like, you know, you, you just feel like weird on a first date. Just let it be that Mm. like that moment of like butterflies and awkwardness and feeling insecure and feeling nervous. It's almost funny when you look back on it later on, like it can almost be funny. And it's like those moments make for the best storytelling later on. And we don't need to like hot wire ourselves in order to avoid like like what is such a normal human experience because I'm experiencing it now, like meeting friends in a new town, you know, mm-hmm. you want to like go get coffee. I like you. Do you like me? You want to get a coffee? <laughs> you know, like it's weird. I, and I think totally that, relate like, to that by the way, because I'm also in a new town. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just like, okay, like we're weird humans. We are weird. We have so many weird things going on for us. Like, what if I just let myself feel weird and be weird? And I even say it to the person, like, I'm like not drinking and this is so weird. And like, like just call it out and like, and maybe they'll say the same thing too. Maybe they don't want to drink either. And they're just doing it, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love it. So good. So much great information. And we could talk for hours. So I'm sure I'm going to have you back, but why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on the internets? Because I'm sure people are going to want to come follow you and and listen to your, all of your guidance and wisdom. And I'll also yeah. link this below too. Yeah. So I have um, my Instagram is where I hang out most. And it's just my name, Jenny, and it's spelled with an I-E. So J-E-N-N-I-E. And then my last name, Jector, J-U-E-C-H-T-E-R. 
Um, I have a Facebook as well, but I don't, it's moves, I'm not really on there as much. And then I do have a podcast as well that is really focused on tips for being sober curious. Um, and it's called Milfy Rich. So you can find me on all major podcast players. Um, and that is it for right now. That's where you can find me. And I have a couple of like resources that are really low cost. If you want to do a 10 day alcohol free challenge, I have that available, um, which is really low cost. And I'm basically like your, your sober coach for 10 days on, on email. So, and then you can sign up for my email list through the link in my Instagram as well. Beautiful. Well, I am so thankful that you're here and I know everyone is going to get so much great advice from this podcast and just really some beautiful things to reflect on too, because this alcohol relationship is, it's such a big one in society, you know, and it's an important conversation. So that's it for our podcast this week. Jenny, it was wonderful having you here. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And we will talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Gen X Woman's Guide to Love podcast. If you liked this episode, I would be so honored if you'd share it with someone who you know is looking for love. And if you're ready to take this work even deeper, I invite you to head on over to shondahoward.com forward slash free, where you can download your free meditation to attract your soulmate.